There are Bibles on the back table for those who haven't got the Bible. Otherwise, Romans 15, verse 1 to 16. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbor for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragements of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragements give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ, so that with our one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing hymns to your name. Again it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, O you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, O you peoples. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, the Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge and competent in, to instruct one another. I have written you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of pro proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you again from this place. If it wasn't for COVID-19, I wouldn't have been here, but since the, our pastor is quarantined, you have to put up for the second time this morning with a bit of a Dutch accent. <laughs> Thanks, Rudy, for, uh, for reading this, uh, this passage to us. Uh, the text that I want to focus on is verse 14. And it can appear behind me, if it does, hopefully. Anyway, that's verse 14 of the, the passage that we read. And it says, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Sounds like a nice compliment, doesn't it? I'm convinced that you are full of goodness, says Paul to the church in Rome. But isn't it a somewhat dangerous comment? I mean, what church is full of goodness? 
What brother or sister who really knows himself or herself can honestly agree, yes, that's what I am indeed, full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and able to instruct others. Wouldn't it be more truthful to say this? Well, there's nothing good in us. We lack a lot of knowledge. And we are far from competent to instruct others. Sounds a bit more humble, doesn't it? But friends, let's be careful here. The teaching that there is nothing good in us is the approach many preachers have taken over the centuries. People in the pew were consistently taught that they were no more than a bunch of miserable sinners, good for nothing, and complete in knowledge. The only people that might claim to have some knowledge then were perhaps the ministers. And only a very few people were considered to be competent to instruct others. But as I said, let's think again before we buy such a message, because it may sound very humble. Oh, we're all poor sinners who never do anything good. But it is as false as can be. It's no less than a lie of the devil, I think. Because with this lie, he binds millions of people who listen to weekly sermons. See, what people consider as humility by referring to themselves as miserable sinners is an actual fact, the arrogance of an unbroken human heart. It is a lack of faith in the most central doctrine of the gospel, namely that Jesus Christ wants to redeem us and to change us. Moreover, it's a total denial of the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, friends, we have to recognize that it is possible that people use the words of the humble tax collector, O Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, but that they do that with the heart of an arrogant Pharisee. False humility. That's what it is. Now, you may wonder why I'm so outspoken here and even speak of a lie of the devil. Don't we all have to confess to God that we fail him time and again? Isn't there a lot of, um, of room for increasing our knowledge? And don't we need to be equipped to enable us to instruct others? Friends, I'm not denying that for a moment, but let's return to the point I make. In many churches, people are told over and over again that they are only miserable sinners. What effect do you think such teaching has on people? Would they become better people by constantly hearing how bad they are? What happens to children who always have to hear from their parents how poorly they do, how stupid they are, how far off the mark they perform? You know what will happen? In the end, these children believe what they are taught, don't they? And from then on, they start to, to prove how correct their parents' opinion of them is. You're a pain in the neck. 
They are told by their parents. And the children are doomed to prove that they are a pain in the neck indeed. I've so often seen it, even among church people. That makes me cry for those children. What a damage parents can do to their children in that way. And the opposite is also true. When we regularly encourage our children and praise them for the good things they do, they will do better all the time. Tell them that they are doing well and that you enjoy their company. And soon enough, they will do well. You will enjoy their company. That's basic psychology. Now, the very same applies to the teaching in a church. If you're a congregation, are only taught that you're a hopeless failure, you will become a bunch of miserable sinners with a tragic effect that you'll never grow beyond that. Now, listen to Paul again. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. That is a compliment, isn't it? Now, is Paul only using a bit of psychology here, hoping that a, a positive approach will evoke a positive response? Well, it's part of it, I'm sure. But it's more than that, much more. See, if there is any goodness in believers, where does that come from? Do you remember the list of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ by entrusting yourself to him as your Lord, He has promised you and he will give you his Holy Spirit who from then on will live in you. And this indwelling spirit, as we call it, brings along the potential for all these fruits. You begin to love people the way God loves. You can show joy even when suffering. You know, peace, even in disturbing circumstances. You have patience while waiting for the Lord. You show kindness to everybody around you. You have a goodness that's tangible. Being good means seeking the good for other people. And you want to to remove things from your own life that is bad or evil. You know, you can, you can never do that in your own strength. It's the Holy Spirit in you who does it and who pushes you to grow in holiness. Now, that doesn't mean that you can sit back while the Holy Spirit is making you good inside. No, it requires a consistent effort from your side as well. That's how the Holy Spirit works. Listen for a moment to to 2 Peter 1, verse 3. If you have a Bible, you can look it up. 2 Peter 1, verse 3. And there he says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. 
Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge. Peter points out exactly the same things as Paul here in Romans 15. There is a divine power available that enables us to overcome evil desires. You've got to believe this, friends. Otherwise, you'll never make progress in your Christian life. You might be forever struggling and trying, but you get nowhere. And after 10 years of trying hard, you're most likely just as far as when you started. You've got to believe that there is a divine power available to overcome your sins, to overcome evil desires. And if you don't call in that power, you'll be a loser all the time. And in the end, you might even give up. Let's listen again to Peter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. You're called by the goodness of Jesus. And do you think that, that he will leave then all the badness in you untouched once you have become a believer? No way. The goodness of Jesus himself is shared with his followers. It's only through faith that we become part of Jesus. That, that's, that's clear enough. That's our access into the kingdom of heaven by faith in Jesus Christ. Only he can bring us in. So no matter how, how bad we are, we may enter thanks to his mercy on sinners. But once we have entered by faith, there is work to do on ourselves, by ourselves. We have to make every effort to add to our faith goodness. Have you done that? Well, then you must have noticed the progress you've made. But if you haven't, and you don't even feel for making that effort, you must know that there is something wrong, possibly even with your faith. So you can have a kind of faith in God and Jesus, which is totally, with the words of Peter, ineffective and unproductive. See, the whole point of the gospel is that it wants to change you, not from good into bad, that you think you were good and now you realize you're bad. Well, that's, that's the beginning. But the gospel wants to change you from bad into good. Of course, you are a miserable sinner in yourself. By nature, we all are. But we can't remain such a sinner. Have been touched. If you have been touched by the gospel, if you've been called by the Lord's goodness, then you must do something with it. As Peter calls it, you must make your calling and election sure. And if there is no desire in you whatsoever to grow 
in goodness and knowledge, then you should ask yourself, how sure are you of your calling and election? Friends, it's much better to struggle with those questions for a while than to just assume you're fine, you're a Christian, you come to church. But don't think that regularly showing up in a, in a worship service is evidence that you are a Christian. I do not know any, any other evidence for being a Christian than the growing visibility of the fruits of the Spirit in your life. If the Spirit is at work in you, then the fruit will show. Can't be otherwise. Paul can see that in the people of the church in Rome. Of course they are not perfect. There is, for instance, some arrogance around where the strong look down on the weak and don't treat them with patience and love. Paul has just frankly admonished them in chapters 14 and 15. So now it's time for a word of encouragement for these same people. So I'm convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. You have indeed added to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. So you complete in knowledge now. And what that doesn't mean, there is nothing more to learn. But it means that you have all the knowledge you need to make the necessary progress in the Christian life. Paul says, I've given it all to you. This very letter is proof of that. Paul has first extensively explained how they were saved through faith by grace alone. And then he has given lots of attention to the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctifying all those who have placed their trust in Jesus. In the verses following our text, Paul will explain the goals of his own ministry. He is sent out to the Gentiles to proclaim to them the gospel so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now that's what Paul is working for, that, that he may reach unbelieving pagans with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But since the gospel is a life-changing message, he expects to be able to present his converts as an offering pleasing to God. He is not offering miserable sinners as an offering acceptable to God, but he is presenting sinners who have become saints by the grace of God. He is presenting living sacrifice whose life has been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And that is why Paul can approach them in such a positive way. I'm convinced that you are full of goodness because the Holy Spirit has not been idle in you. He has changed you. He has transformed you so that you're all becoming more and more like Jesus was. And the same Spirit makes you competent in instructing each other. Well, this instruction that Paul talks about is not so much about teaching the doctrines. That, that's also part of it. But it's more about applying doctrine to life. It's about encouraging and admonishing one another. Now, once more, what is true encouraging one another? Is that being judgmental about other people? 
about your brothers and sisters? Is encouraging to be critical about your children, what they do or what they think? Or is it by calling the world outside, oh, it's all bad, bad, bad? I think encouraging is that you are positive about what you see of the work of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. And you can make a comment on that. It's so wonderful. I can see the spirits are working you. You're growing. So think of this. If, if your child attempts its first steps, what do you say to a child like that as parents? Do you say, are oh, you still way too wobbly on your legs? And way too shaky in your movements? You've got to learn a lot? Or... Are you applauding their, their efforts, every attempt they make to move about on two legs? I think the answer is clear enough, isn't it? So let's encourage one another whenever we see progress in someone's life. And most of all, let's bring praise to the Holy Spirit who enables people to walk the Christian life. In the meantime, make for yourself every effort to grow in holiness. There is nothing more edifying and encouraging than to see others, others, other people walk close to the Lord. That's encouraging and challenging for yourself. And also, you have to think of this. It is your example of showing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness that makes other people think where does that come from see some people have never read a letter in the bible the only letter they read is you and mind you they will read you therefore encourage one another to not only talk the talk but to walk the walk be a readable letter of Jesus Christ that will bring praise to our saviour who not only forgives us our sins, but has given us all the help we need to change into people who love to walk as Jesus did. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of your word that we know where we have to go. Lord, we thank you that, amongst others also, the Apostle Paul has made a great effort to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so after many centuries, it came to us, and it still came to us this morning what he had to say about your work in people, about the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to grasp that and help us to make every effort to grow in love and joy and patience and holiness. Lord, fill us more and more with your Holy Spirit and help us to be the people that are readable letters of Jesus Christ to those around us.
Lord, bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.